Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, patrons. Here we are. What's up? We just uh, had this great conversation with Rachel Cruz, and we answered some more questions for her for the, this Maximal episode. And uh, we, in fact, we, we went through an article with her as well. But you had sent me this article, Ryan. And so before we, we bring Rachel Cruz back in, well, we already recorded it, really. So, um, But before that, before you get to listen to that or watch it, if you're watching this on, on the video feed, um, we have this article here that I didn't get a chance to read it in front of Rachel, but you and I, we can have opinions without her, I think. Yeah, I think so. All right, so <laughs> Ryan, you sent this to me, and the title of it, this is a CBS Evening News article by Jerrica Duncan, and the title of the article is, You Feel So Overwhelmed, Fed Reports $1 Trillion Increase in Americans' Debt. Now, you and I have talked about a trillion dollars before and what it means, right? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, like how we, we throw around a trillion dollars like it's just a trillion dollars. Right. But to like really put it in perspective of what a trillion dollars is, is it's crazy. Yeah. What, what is it? It's uh, if you have spent a million dollars every single day since the birth of the Buddha, yeah. you still wouldn't have spent a, mil- or a trillion dollars by now. Right. But we think of them because they, they rhyme a million, trillion, billion, whatever. Same yeah. thing. No, 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 it's not even close. A a a million is to a trillion what one dollar is to what a thousand. A yeah. M- so yeah. So help me what, out, math podcast. So one million uh-huh. to a trillion uh-huh. would be what one dollar is to uh yeah a hundred thousand or. Yeah, I think so. Something like that. But anyway, anyone fact check us and put it in the comments. That's on right. Patreon. <laughs> That's right. Double check us on that. <clears throat> but no, it's it's like we do we it, to hear like the government is in debt twenty two trillion dollars. And that that's not supposed to be a big deal, dude. I mean, to put to also put it in perspective, so Apple is worth a billion dollars, or or a they trillion. just did a trillion. Yeah, they just did a trillion. Um, Amazon. See, even we can confuse, even though we know they're right. They're, they're so different. Amazon just hit a trillion. Uh huh. But like this and is minimalists. <laughs> also a trillion. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Patreon. That's right. Anyway, all right. All right. Let's, well, the, let's get into it. All right. Uh, here's what here, here's what she writes. Uh, the lessons Jamie Kearns teaches in her Vallejo classroom go well beyond math. She tells her students about the burdens that go with too much debt. I would just say with debt in general. Yeah. yeah. There are always burdens with debt. Yes. And flashes a number she came to know too well. It had to be over $20,000, Kearns said. Dating back to college, she had an equally staggering number of credit cards. I probably had at least 8 to 10. Kern said, I had whatever they would give me. Mervin's, I don't even know what that is. I had <laughs> Diners Club. Yeah, McAlpin's. McAlpin's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the one for Lazarus and I, Elder Beerman. I used to always fall for the, uh, hey, if you sign up for a credit card, you get 10% off. Totally, man. All the time. In fact, the way I thought about it, like, I would convince myself. I was so good at convincing myself. like Such a good salesman to myself. Mm-hmm. I could sell debt to my, my future <laughs> self right now. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the Federal Reserve reports that since 2013, there has been a $1 trillion increase in the amount of American uh, debt, the debt Americans are carrying. Today, that breaks down to nearly... $1.2 trillion in auto loans, nearly $1.6 trillion in student loans, and $1 trillion in consumer credit, mostly from credit cards. So, so basically, we have roughly $4 trillion worth of consumer debt, according to, to this here, for, according to the Federal Reserve. Uh, such a large... Tr- and by the way, that doesn't include mortgages. Mm. So, so this is consumer debt outside of mortgage debt which is really really high what would you call it um non-essentials yeah non-essential yeah. debt I, I would because here's the thing um you you have even with the auto we've been conditioned we were we were just talking about this a few episodes ago hmm. like uh, well in order to get a car you have to have a car loan right you have to have a car payment. Right. And it's like, well, who told you that? Right. <laughs> I, I don't know. Everybody told me that. Yeah. Right? Because that's how it is. Yeah. How are you going to have a car without a car payment? 
Well, you buy a car that you can afford. Well, I can afford the payment. Well, then you can't afford the car if you can only afford the car payment. If you have a car yeah. payment, you can't afford the car. Well, think, think about it the other way around. You and I were talking about finances the other day because you're looking at an investment property mm-hmm. and, and it was a little bit more expensive than what you had in savings. And and this is the same thing that's true with, with cars. It's like, okay, but then I'll just take a loan out for $10,000. Even if I, uh, let's say you had $10,000 in the bank, but it's mm-hmm. like, like, well, I don't want to part with that $10,000. Right. I'll, just, I'll keep my $10,000 in the bank mm-hmm. and I'll buy this $10,000 car yeah. with a loan. With a loan, yeah. But it's like, wait a minute. Would you do the opposite? Like now right. that you have the car, let's say you have a paid off car, would you now go borrow $10,000 so you could have $10,000 in the bank? Yeah, no. Of course not. Yeah. But we get caught up in thinking, well, this pile is mine and I'll play with someone else's pile of money. Mm-hmm. No, it's your future self's money that you're yeah. playing with there. Yeah, I mean, there are, it's funny because like, I know, I just know someone right now is like, no, that's not true. Sometimes it's better to take a loan than it is to pay everything at once. And yes, like that, there might be these one-off scenarios like where Mark Zuckerberg, uh, instead of paying, you know, $120 million for a house up front, he takes a loan out for 2% interest and then he can keep that $120 million in the bank and gain 7%, you know, year over year on average in the in index funds. Right, right. Yes, that works for Mark Zuckerberg. And ultimately, it doesn't matter to him either way. Right, that's true. And, and that's, that's the key point. When If the m- amount of money doesn't matter to you, we're talking... Uh, it's like him buying a sandwich at the corner store, him <laughs> buying his house. Yeah. That's how much money he has. Yeah. And so for us, for you and I buying a house, it's the biggest purchase we'll ever make. Right. And for him, it's tantamount to buying lunch for someone. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, so it doesn't really matter for him. Absolutely. Going back to the, the idea of feeling like we have to have a car loan, like this is... It's normalized. Debt is normalized. In fact, it's encouraged. Mm. Uh, and it's to the, I think that's why we're seeing this trillion dollar increase. Since 2013, we're talking, uh, what is that, a 33% increase? And if there's $4 trillion in non consumer or non essential debt, mm-hmm. consumer debt, and it's increased a trillion dollars, so from three to four trillion in five years. We're talking a 33% increase in five years because we think the economy is booming. And well, here, here's the bad news for you. On average, every nine years, there's a downturn. Yeah. For us, it has been almost 11 years at this point. Yeah, There is an impending downturn. Now, will it be a crash? Probably not, but maybe. Could be. It could just be a slight deflation. But either way, we're living it up like, oh, well, just borrow, borrow, borrow. Everything's going to be great. Yeah. What a recipe for disaster. All right, returning to the text here. That's why even this interview is hard, Kern said. None of us want to admit that we are not making good choices with our money. Exactly. Yeah. That we are not being taught. My family has struggled with it, and many families out there are struggling with it. But you feel so overwhelmed because you feel like such a failure. I didn't open the bills. Because it was just too much for me. She was in debt for 18 years and filed for bankruptcy. Then she sought professional help. Hopefully you can get to that point where you don't have, I, I, thankfully I didn't have to file for, for bankruptcy and, yeah. and neither did you. Yeah. But there were some tough times there where you know, we, we couldn't pay our bills on time. And, and even when I was making good money in the corporate world, I would often be late on bills because I was a juggling act because I had amassed so much consumer debt. Yeah. Sometimes the paychecks didn't cover that consumer debt, well, even dude, though they were good paychecks. With every promotion, I mean, the question was, is how, how much more debt can I afford? How many more debt payments can I afford each month with this new increase in pay? Right. And yeah, that mindset is just... That will uh, that's going with the flow, and eventually you'll end up at the falls. Yes, indeed. All right, so uh, back to the text here. There is hope. We can help you," said Carolyn uh, Carolee Burse, a credit counselor with Spark Point, a project of United Way Bay Area. Hopefully, you don't have to go through a credit counselor. A lot of the times, not always, but a lot of times, those are. Uh, they're a bit gimmicky or scammy, and they're they're they can be. It's yeah. the, they're a service that you have to pay for, and mm-hmm. you can do something like Dave Ramsey's Baby Steps, yeah, uh, to pay off the debt and uh, the debt snowball, yeah, and and 
you're not hiring a credit counselor in order to do that. You can do it on your own. It's relatively simple, but man, it ain't easy. Yeah, I have not seen a better recipe than total money makeover for getting out of debt and staying out of debt and being financially responsible. He had this great line. Uh, podcast Sean and I went to his event. Him and Chris, when Chris Hogan was on the podcast, he had an event that night down in Orange County. A massive event and he's up there telling his story that it made me feel really good because he's been telling the same story for 29 years <laughs> and, and he he has given the same talk variations of this same talk for 20 but he is still all the way in it and yeah. and man it's and it's gotten so good at this point he has props up there at one point he got this giant chain and put it around his neck <laughs> and said you know this is like credit card debt or yeah and, and car payments he's putting these chains on oh my goodness and it was just so good but he had this line and, and he, he was talking about you know why they sell the products that they do or the books or whatever mm-hmm. and he said that the the reason that that they he said, none of this advice is new advice, right? I've just found a way to package it really well so that people understand it and are able to use it. Yeah. And I feel like that's what, what you and I do. You can go back to the Stoics. You can go back to Jesus and Muhammad and Judaism. You can go back to Thoreau and Emerson. You can go back to uh, Epicurean. You, you can go back to any of these philosophers, you could look at Nietzsche and, and, and extract some of their wisdom that's parallel to, or his, his wisdom that's parallel to ours. Um, and when you go through all of that, what we've done is we've packaged it in a way that makes sense in the modern world mm. through our own lens, through our own experience. And yeah. I think that is one thing that you get from someone like Dave Ramsey yeah. is he went bankrupt when he was young. He made he had the rise, the fall, the rise. This whole classic story, and every every story is basically that. Yeah. He he made a ton of money, had over a million dollar net worth in his mid twenties, and by the time he was thirty, lost it all, filed for bankrupt or uh, was on the verge of bankruptcy. I don't know if he actually filed for it or not, but uh, and then clawed his way out of it, and then started teaching people how he did it with his own baby steps, yeah. and then modified it over the years, and now has nearly a thousand employees and they help people get out of debt that's what they do best and that's why we had rachel cruz in here to talk about money problems and uh back to the text here burst works with kearns and many others to help them cut their use of credit cards and monitor their goals well hopefully cut their use means cut off their use of credit cards if you're in debt credit card any credit card is not going to help you no so that's one thing that he did uh dave ramsey did on stage he had uh, like a pocket full of credit cards as he was going through his talk he just started snipping them one at a time <laughs> uh and and man he had these really great lines it was really good yeah. if you get a chance to see one of his smart money events go go check it out uh, i could take a year uh, it could take a year it could take two years bursey said everyone is different their situation is different depends on their debt uh 98 weeks is typical a couple of years. I would say a lot of times their long-term goals are to purchase a home. Yeah. See, that's that's one thing that I think is so important to realize if you are drowning in debt uh-huh. is it takes a, a lot of time to get out of debt and there's no quick fix. It's like, I, I know that some people get stuck in uh, buying self-help books and then they'll, they'll buy money management uh, tools and then they'll, they'll pay for a coach and it's like you cannot buy your way out of debt. You cannot you cannot keep you can't spend your way out of debt basically. Like you have to come up with a plan and you have to work that plan. And you know what's unfortunate is that it might take someone just one signature to get, you know, at this huge amount of debt and it you can get into debt so quickly, mm-hmm. but it takes sometimes it takes longer to get out of it. But right. the good news is is you can get out of it if you work the plan. And it was bad habits that got you into debt. Mm-hmm. It'll be the good habits that get you out of debt. Amen. You can tweet that, Jessica, or podcast, Sean. You can put that in the show notes. Minimal maxims here. All right, end of this article. It's uh, it's coming to a close here, and then we'll get to these questions with Rachel. After two years with Carolyn Bercy, Jamie Kearns was able to buy a home with her husband and provide for their children. It was a journey, uh, quote, it was a journey because I think I'm completely I, I, th- I don't think I'm completely over it yet, Kern said. I don't want to sit here and say, no, 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 I think it's a journey. I think I have to catch myself up. When I see that it's going to start, then I know this is what I have to do. So uh, basically, I think what she's saying here is you'll continue to struggle with it as you're you're getting out of debt. Yeah. The, the, the next struggle is to avoid getting back into debt slipping back yeah yeah and the same is true with when you think about minimalism and possessions like if you just you would burn all the clothes in your closet right now yeah 
but you might just fill the closet up a month from now. Right. If you don't address the habits, you don't address the why behind the problem, the what will not will not take you very far. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's enjoy these questions and answers. I know we did with uh, with Rachel Cruz, and then we will see you next week, y'all. Thank you for being a Patreon a subscriber, a supporter. We're really grateful. We'll see you, you next awesome. time. See ya. All right, y'all, we're here with Rachel Cruz. Let's dive into some of these money problem voicemails. Our first question here is from Pierre uh, from Patreon. So I've been lucky enough to never be in need in my life. I'm 31, I have a well-paying job, and I don't have any kids or other responsibilities to take care of. And I think that as a result, I never really learned to value money or to be mindful in my spending. I don't budget I don't really save and I tend to buy a lot of things. So my question is, what's your advice to start building a more responsible and long-term attitude towards money and spending? All right, so Rachel, when we talk about being responsible with money, part of that has to do, sometimes we're responsible because we don't have because we do have responsibilities, right? right we think right. I have a family to take care of. I have kids to take care of. I want to send them off to college. I need to pay off debt. There are responsibilities. There's a mortgage that's hanging over my head. Um, and where Pierre is right now is he's like, well, I've got a lifestyle, but um, it just sort of, I, he is, I, I, when he was asking his question, I just thought about a balloon that you sort of let go of mm. and it's just flying around the room from place to place mm-hmm. and that's how he's spending money right now. It's, it's uh, when I think of irresponsibility, money just goes here and it goes there. It's like that balloon. It has no particular direction. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what do you encourage people to do to be more responsible with their money? Yes. Well, especially when there's not those responsibilities. He doesn't have kids. He doesn't have any of that. And so I'm like, you're in a really good spot, man. Like you get right. to do a lot <laughs> of fun things still like you're gonna have a lot of freedom especially if you don't have debt like you're gonna be able like this is not gonna be a hard gig for you like it's gonna just take a little bit of changing your habits and again we keep going back to the budget but that's like the foundation of everything I teach is I'm like you have to be intentional so have these short-term goals five years or less of what you want to do and this could be fun stuff it could be you want to maybe buy a new car with cash maybe you want to go on a great trip to Europe like whatever it is but have a goal because if you aim at nothing you're gonna hit it every time is that quote which i love and you're gonna stay that balloon and and what what we're talking about here is you what you're saying is set up some responsibilities for you have something in your life that you're shooting for and we think of responsibilities like sometimes it's this negative word like when uh ella my five-year-old daughter she like we have this chore list on on the on the fridge and each morning she has to make her bed and like but we think of those as negative things but your responsibilities don't have to be negative it can be here is what I am saving for and then understanding the why, which we talked about a yeah, moment ago. Absolutely. And you know, the, the responsibility part of adulting, I mean, it's, it takes some work, you know, it doesn't take a, a ton of work, especially in Pierre's case, you know, he's got that, he's got a lot of freedom, but I would encourage him to do a little bit of work, like just putting together a budget. I mean, for me, when anyone talks to me about money problems, my first question is, is what is your budget? And a lot of the times I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago and asked them, what's your budget? They're like, Ryan, I'm poor. I don't have to have a budget to know that I'm poor. And I'm like, well, if you don't know how poor you are, then that that's still, that's not empowering. That's disempowering. The, the budget is a very empowering thing. And if Pierre can look at it that way, I, I mean, that one small little thing will help him to maybe save a little bit more for retirement, help him go on that vacation that he wants to take in five years. But I know for me, when, uh, so when Ryan and I first started doing the, the budget, it was to get me, to get us debt free. We became debt free and then we let the budget go because we just kind of felt like, oh, well, you know, we've, we got our bills paid and we'll just put away what we can. And when we moved to Los Angeles, I was like, all right, we need to put a budget together, like living in LA. And what we did is we were able to uh, just basically cut our, cut our credit card bill in half. Now, I know that I think both of you are against credit cards. I just got one, like, just I get the points and I pay it off every single month. <laughs> now, sure. I, well, I no, I really do. And you know what? That, that's one thing that my dad really um, instilled in me growing up was like making sure to pay off that credit card balance every single month. So that's a habit that I've been into. But, you know, it's not like I found extra money, it was more about, 
when I have a budget, if I want to go buy a soft drink from, from the gas station, or if I want to take Josh out to lunch, whatever it may be, it makes me, it forces me to look at that decision. I go to the budget. Do I have money in the budget? Okay. Yes, I do. I can do this. Um, if I don't have money in the budget, then I, I simply don't do it. But yeah, a, a budget is so empowering right and uh, so let's get more concrete here for a second with respect to the budget i really like what you said there you you didn't find more money magically but in a weird way you did you the best way to give yourself a pay raise is to spend less money the best way to spend less money is to understand where your money is going and and having a budget does that uh in terms of being more concrete with how he should spend his money you can spend your money however you want i'm not going to tell you how to spend your money if i'm in your shoes i'm going to set aside personally i'd set aside 20 percent. i think you tend to recommend 15% for retirement, yeah, right? Yeah. And so putting that, whether it's mutual funds, uh, a SEP IRA, your 401k, putting it somewhere in a 59 and a half account so that it grows interest. It's something you're never going to touch too. I, I look at it as investing in your future self. Mm, it's right. not even my money. It's my 60 year old self's money. And, uh, and and I'm paying him every every single month. And I think that's something Pierre could do. Are there any other tips that you would recommend? W- where should he put his money? Are there places that are concrete that he should put his money right now? Sure. Well, for retirement, you hit it all. I mean, get a Roth IRA. If your work offers a 401k or a 403b, work towards retirement yeah. um, but even just having that emergency fund as well even before retirement and that could be simple in a money market account something easy but something else I thought about Pierre in your question when he said you well, know, I, hold on real quick what's emergency fund for him look like I mean oh, sorry. someone who has yep. has a good amount of money um, is three, it maybe three to six months right three yeah. to six months of expenses you just set it aside you almost look at this as insurance it's not an investment yeah. it's mm, insurance so yeah. it's there if something happens you lose your job you have cash available right on hand to continue on your life so yeah, yeah having that and then yeah investing into retirement okay and he said you know i i enjoy my i enjoy things or i enjoy my lifestyle and all that which is great but also i would say start giving Mm. find something in your life that you're passionate about find that cause because that we've talked about this together but truly that's where the joy comes the stuff is fun right go get the car or go get the vacation go 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 on the vacation enjoy it but have something in mind that's not all about yourself because when you're you know when you have you know uh, a spouse or you have a partner it's like you're there's a little bit of selflessness that comes there when you have kids a lot of selflessness that comes there (laughs) but when you are on your own find that thing that you can be selfless with yeah. and and start to give something. Yeah, you want to be able to contribute beyond yourself. I can tell you this, Ryan and I made really good money in the corporate world. We walked away from that and paradoxically started contributing more because we were focused on it. I can tell you in the last eight years, we've we, we built a school in Laos. We funded a high school for a year in Kenya. We uh, helped the, the victims of the Las Vegas uh, shooting uh, a couple years ago, um, uh, the Orlando shooting a few years ago, um, the, the people who survived that but still needed medical attention. We were able to contribute to that. We're currently building a, a grocery store, a store, a nonprofit in, in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. It's the only grocery, going to be the only grocery store in, in the entire west side of Dayton. And we've done a bunch of other things, built wells in Malawi and, and gone out of our way to give because there's a cliche, giving is living. But you actually experience that when you do that. So set aside a, a percentage for you can be 10%. I mean, if you want to give a third of your income, that's great. The more you give, it's not the more that you live, but you're going to feel really good. And you talk about being empowered. Yeah. Man, giving is so empowering because you're no longer just living for yourself. Absolutely. I, I love how on the Every Dollar app, like that's the first line item yeah, is giving. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're budgeting for giving. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, it is it is amazing how um, just being able to give towards uh, one of those causes that you just mentioned. It's Yeah, it feels wonderful and, and it's contributing to your community. Our next question is from Stephanie in Ontario, Canada. My kids are six and four and we want to teach them about money. We do a budget ourselves and are also doing the baby steps. Sometimes we will tell them tell them that we can't go here or buy this because it costs money and we try to explain to them that we have to work hard for the money that we do have. Um, we're tr- we've tried chore charts with the kids, but don't, they seem a bit young or they don't really grasp the concept as well. They can't really read, right? So it seems pointless. Um, should we start maybe a jar system for their money or go to the bank and open a checking account? They have some Christmas money that they've received and we don't quite know what to do with it. 
So Stephanie is also in a good predicament here. The kids have some Christmas money. And um, it, it's, yeah, I'd lump that into sort of like the allowance phase, which Ella is right around the allowance phase right now. She's five, she'll be six soon. And uh, she, she can read a little bit, you know, she's not reading Infinite Jest or anything anytime soon, <laughs> but she can read her, she can sound out the words on her chore chart. And so that does help out. But even when, even before she could read those things, we'd just go through it together. And I think for me, what was important with respect to the, the, the chore chart was making things that were attainable. As a, as a five-year-old, everything seems so impossible. You know, just like making her bed seemed like World War III was breaking <laughs> out. Um, but in time, she got the habit down. And so ultimately, I think that's what, what Stephanie's trying to do here. She's trying to instill some habits in her kids. Now, you wrote a whole book about this so maybe we could talk about what you would recommend yeah well you know i think number one something the fact that you're asking the question is encouraging a lot of parents get through their kids life as their kids heading off to college or leaving home and like oh crap we never talked about this you know <laughs> so you're doing well um and i would say the point that it needs to be age appropriate like you're saying so spot on and this doesn't have to be a, a ton of things like get like three even four things that she can do and if that means cleaning her room my daughter's almost four when Amelia quote unquote cleans her room, yeah. I'm doing 90% of it of and course. she's putting, you know, a few things away and then she's off. But like, well, the truth is you're doing 110% yeah, that's of right. it. <laughs> sometimes they mess up their room. Yeah, that's right. Tearing it. it all right. But right, it's, right. it's instilling that habit is yes, what's important. Exactly. And when they're that young, I do like to say pay them instantly and show them like when you do this, this is this is what happens. Like there's a sowing and reaping, right? You, you do this, you put hard work in, this is what you get out of it. You get money mm. and money comes from work. It doesn't just come from mom and dad's back pocket. And so doing that and getting jars, she mentioned that yes. And when they're that little, get clear jars so they can put their little money in. You don't have to divide them up now in categories when they're that young. But let them just see visually it build up and, and pay them in dollar bills if you can because coins, poor thing, it just like sits at the bottom, right? Like right. like crunch up those dollar bills. You can make $10 of $1 bills look like a million to a, <laughs> to a five-year-old. So I'm like, For sure. do yeah. that. And then after one or two weeks of it, go to Walmart or Target, wherever, and let them buy something. And it may be something small, but like just start that process. It doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to be legalistic about it, but just start it. And that chore chart, I'd go back to it, just like you were saying, because it's a visual reminder. And if they can't read yet that's fine you read it and say this says clean room so let's go up and clean the room like yeah, yeah guide them can you talk about the the three buckets that you encourage kids and when do you encourage them to start putting money into those three buckets yeah i'd say around seven or eight okay. at that point you can start dividing up if you, now some children i think grasp this stuff sooner so uh -huh. if you feel like your child is able to go to the three jars then that's great but if they're still good with the one it's fine again we're not legalistic about it uh but the three jars are giving saving and spending mm -hmm. and my parents did this with us and we actually had envelopes and Every Sunday night, we'd sit down with our chore charts and say, okay, what chores did you do? And if you did the chore, you got paid and you had to give first. You had to put money in the give envelope. You had to save second and then you got to spend third. Because what you're doing there at that point is you're teaching your kids kind of a mini form of budgeting, right? Like, mm. And they're building all three of those money muscles. And as an adult, that's basically what we do with money, right? I mean, like yeah. to in essence. And so they're learning that. And I think with kids too, like having cash Oh, I love it because it's so visual. They're holding it. They see it. Um, and another thing, a, lo a question I get all the time from parents is like, do I pay my kids on everything? Or, you know, I or some parents say, I don't want to pay my kids. They should do all this because they're part of the family and this is their responsibility. And I'm like 50-50 on it. I think that you need to pay your kids on some chores because there's so many teachable moments. But yeah, they're na there could be a few things that they do because they're part of the family. We had those growing up. Like, you know, because if you pay them on everything, they become like little union workers. And they're like, you know, I picked up a sock. Give me a quarter. And you're like, oh my gosh, calm down. Like, so there is this balance. But um, but gosh, like those little things over time. And again, I would say this again. You don't have to be perfect. Have grace with yourself. Like as a kid growing up as Dave Ramsey's kid, I'm like, we missed like a month at a time sometimes. And we would be like, payday. And you know, we'd, get, we'd have all this money because we didn't do it for a few weeks. He forgot. And so like, it's going to ebb and flow. The more consistent you are, the better. But give yourself some grace. Life's crazy, but yeah. start it. I yes, totally indeed. agree. Yeah, it, and also that that's a good expectation. Don't try to make it perfect, right? Mm. There isn't the perfect place for them to put their money. Uh, what what we're trying to do is just instill some habits here. Yeah, set right. some boundaries. And Stephanie and, and her partner sounds like they're doing an awesome job too in the sense that they're showing their kids 
what to do, how to uh, use money responsibly. Because kids, they don't really do what we tell them to. They they do what they see us do. So so congrats to Stephanie and her partner for setting those great examples. I love how uh, you talk about um, your father giving you the exact amount of money that you needed, like if it was for you know sports. Uh, whatever fees you had at school, it was this envelope of here's everything that you need for the month. And then he allowed you to make the responsible decisions to put that money where it goes or yes. make the irresponsible. Decisions. <laughs> yeah. So don't know right. that. Yeah. So we got our, we got our own checking accounts at 15 and that's, that's great. They, they would deposit a certain amount of money and we were never allowed to ask them for money. And if we wanted more than what they put in, we had to go get a job, right? You had to babysit, you had to go do it. And my third month of having that account, I bounced three checks. Oh. It was back in the day when you, oh yeah, y'all. And you don't know the worst part of it. it I bounced well, The worst them. part about it is Dave Ramsey's your father. <laughs> I know, I did. Oh, yeah, that and, and they were from, I bounced the checks at Hollister. Oh. <laughs> That's great. At the mall. So I was like, oh my gosh, but yeah, this 15 year old, and dad actually made me go, down to the bank and I had to apologize to the bank branch manager for lying to him because dad was like you told him you had money in his bank to spend and you didn't and that's a lie wow oh yeah y'all I had to go down there and oh my goodness but the great thing is he waived my overdraft fees so I was like thank you that's that's nice of him that's great well that's that's another lesson though like you you, you're learning about communication as well i know when i uh we we were talking about college earlier and how i had student debt even though i didn't complete college but one of the things i learned about getting good grades in college had much more to do with just communicating well with the professor less so to do with the work but guess what that's how a lot of the real world is you can have the you can create the best, uh, write the best book in the world, but if you have, if you're not good at communicating with other people, you may never even get out into the world in the That's first right. place. Yeah. And so you're building up these communication skills at the same time. Every time you fail, it's an opportunity to improve the way that you communicate with other people. And conflict. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You, 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 oh, yeah, the, the conflict resolution <laughs> right. uh, that you went through, but it made you a, a better person uh, as a result. Yeah. Our next question is from Aaron in Wisconsin. I haven't been very happy in my current job for at least a year now. My workplace feels very much like high school with coworkers, an owner, and a small HR team that can be very sexist and intrusive personally, constantly twisting my words to make it look like I can't do my job. But I continue to stick it out because of the higher income and the fact that my husband and I are currently in baby step two. I know that if I quit, my boss would offer me more money to stay. Because though I may add a lot of value to the company, I don't always feel that I get personal value out of the job and wish I could work for an organization that does something more meaningful to me. Do I continue to stick it out until I reach my financial goals? How do I walk away when 2019 is the year that we will become debt-free? So it's good that 2019 is when Erin and, and her family are going to be debt-free. It's amazing. There are some lines. If there are lines that are being crossed, and if you're being sexually harassed, if you're being harassed in the workplace in general, uh, if it's an unsafe work environment, then yes, you you probably need to to leave. I know uh, uh, my wife, she, she had a, um, a hostile work environment. In fact, ended up having a lawsuit against... Mm. Uh, a, against a uh, another person there that I can't talk about legally but um <laughs> that she she had to go through an entire you know process and it was really unfortunate but she had to walk away from it so uh, I identify with that there was one person in particular uh Sean sent me this meme well a couple days ago I'll, I'll give you the PG version of it but uh, it was the from you know the TV show Justified uh it takes place in uh uh Harlan County, Kentucky, is that right? Uh, which I have family down there. Um, and and it, he, the, the meme is, if you run across a jerk in the morning, then you ran across a jerk. If you run across jerks all day, then maybe you're the jerk. Yeah. Now, Aaron, I'm not calling you a jerk, <laughs> but if everyone at your work is a problem, then maybe it's just not a very good fit for you. And... and if it doesn't cross the line of harassment and it's just, it kind of sucks and you have to stick it out till you pay off your debt, then man, it's going to make paying off that debt so much sweeter. However, if you're being harassed, then of course you need to take the appropriate actions to walk away. Yeah. Aaron, I don't want you keeping this job forever. 
Um, I think that if you are in a position right now to where, you know, you can temporarily deprive yourself of a good work environment to become debt free in 2019. I mean, I'm I'm totally all for that. Um, I I do think, though, that she has to have an end date. She's got to have a date in mind when she is willing to walk away. And you come up with that date by talking to your partner and forming a plan and, and working that plan. People often, I'm sure, talk to you, Rachel, about, I want to leave my job. And of course, when we want to leave our job, we want to leave yesterday. Right. Um, And it's because it's not ideal for us long term. But as we talked about earlier, sometimes it is ideal for the short term. It is a means to that end. Quite often, we don't know what the end is. For me, I, I made really good money in the corporate world, but I spent even better money. And so I had lots of debt. And I just continue to spend and spend and spend more money and it put me further away from the place that I wanted to be. Mm. Aaron's getting closer to where she wants to be. So when people talk to you about leaving leaving their current situation, what do you, what do you tell them? Yeah, I think that you had a great balance earlier in the conversation, right? If there's something if there's integrity being breached, if there's harassment, if there's something that is you know, obviously illegal, anything like that, yeah. sure, remove yourself. Like that's, that's no question. But again, if it's one of those things like, oh, there's just a lot of drama, I don't like it. Listen, you have a short amount of time and that end date is there. And over the scope of your life, your goal would be the work that you're doing is meaningful and you enjoy it. The worst life to live is to wake up every day and hate going to work. Like yeah. those people that live for Friday and dread Mondays, that's a miserable way to live. So like, yes, I want you to get to a spot where you are in a career that you love. So I would even I would even say I would be okay if you went and looked for other jobs. And if you could supplement the same amount of money, then go girl, do that. Yeah. But if you're making like crazy money here and there's absolutely no way you could make that money somewhere else, stick it out and just pay off the debt. Because once you have no bills, that's the freedom. That's when you get to go to your boss and be like, I'm out. Yeah. Like, I don't owe yeah. anyone anything. I can I can leave today. So, I don't want to tolerate this That's right. Anymore. That's right. That, that's exactly what I did in my old job. I got to a point where I felt comfortable enough to go to my boss and I started the conversation with him. I'm like, hey, uh, you know I'm probably not going to stick around here forever. What, what are you going to do when I leave? Who are you going to replace me with? And uh, I was hired to... Um, basically provide sales channels in all these retail stores for small office, home office, business sales. I tell you my title, but it'd take me 10 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I started this program and it was running really, really smoothly. And I had kind of put people in place to where um, I wasn't needed as much as what I was in the beginning. And I saw his wheels turning and he's like, who would I replace you with? I, I don't know if I would replace you. And I'm like, huh? That's an interesting thought, isn't it? And then, you know, sure enough, a month later, I got I got a text. Hey, Ryan, I need you to meet me in, you know, room 207 across from HR where, you know, we have laid off dozens of people before. Like, I knew it was coming. But what I'm saying is I would never have had the confidence to even approach him and have that conversation if I didn't plan ahead and have the emergency fund saved up. You use this word drama when you were talking about it. And to me, that's what it sounds like Aaron's workplace is. There's a whole lot of drama there. And the first thing that I think Aaron can do is not participate that's in right. the drama. If people gossip to you, they gossip about you. There's no question about that. So if someone comes and gossips to you, you can literally walk away. But more more specifically, you can figuratively walk away by just not participating. Don't stoke those flames. In fact, if it gets really bad, you can say, hey, I don't want to participate in gossip. Um, And it might just be the light bulb someone needs to be like, oh, man, you know what? I didn't even realize I was gossiping. It's yeah. become so habitual yes. for me that I just do it every day because I'm also just like you. You're going to find a lot of people in your workplace, Aaron. They're just as unhappy as you. And misery encourages people to pull up a chair and stay a while. <laughs> and and uh, that's what they're doing. They're trying to drag you down with them because they, you know, like, well, I'm miserable. I might as well pull other people into my my circle of misery now so good i love that do you know one of our fireable offenses at ramsey solutions is gossip Mm, i love love that we have a no terminate people for that do what we have before we give a warning but it is a like like dave ramsey does not do gossip so our whole thing is if you have a negative you hand it up you have the freedom to go to your leader and complain you can Mm. say whatever you want Mm -hmm. you have the freedom but it has to be to someone that can do something about it but when you're just sitting there yakking and just about everyone like someone that can't do anything about it yeah it creates one of the most toxic environments and let me tell you people that come to work here it's one of their favorite things about ramsey solutions and they tell us that they're like i've never been at a place 
that people don't talk about each other. Like mm-hmm. it is so freeing. So you could start that. I love that. You're like, you could be the catalyst. Like, you know what? I'm not going to participate. In fact, why don't you just not gossip either? Yeah. yeah. I yeah. love that. Politely bringing it out and calling it out yes. and just saying, hey, you know what? I really, really want to get along with the people I work with. So I'm not going to perpetuate this negative attitude about that person. And yeah, I, lo- I love that. Yeah, for sure. And then you also mentioned the uh, uh, moving on to more meaningful work, work that you find to be meaningful. It's time to identify what that is looking like right now, Aaron. Don't don't wait until your debt is paid off to say, all right, now what is going to be meaningful for me? You can get a bit of a head start and it means you can start looking in that direction. It doesn't mean you have to even necessarily take action, but start understanding like, what are my values and how can I make what I do creatively align with that person that I want to be. You can look toward that horizon knowing that's the direction in which you are going to travel. All right, let's see. Our next question here is from Leanne in Pittsburgh. There have been a lot of natural disasters nationwide lately with the California fires, winter storms in the Northeast, and other emergencies throughout the country. And we live in Pittsburgh where the weather can be very unpredictable. And on top of that, we're getting older and thinking a lot about the future and what it might bring. Recently, we were in a power outage with 20,000 other people in our city, and everyone was clamoring to get kerosene heaters, batteries, um, extra blankets, things like that, and most of us weren't even able to get our hands on them. So my question is, how can we prepare for power outages, car breakdowns, illness, and other unexpected life events when we're minimalists and focused on not having any extra stuff around the house. So I think the best plan is the plan you will follow, right? And, and right now, the big thing that stands out to me is something we've already talked about a little bit is having an emergency fund. Now, the emergency fund will only go so far. Mm-hmm. You, you obviously, if you show up at the store and you're trying to buy batteries, even if it's, there isn't a disaster, you can't buy the batteries if they're not there. Right. Uh, and so um, uh, the, I think the opposite side, though, is over-preparing because here's the truth. You can't prepare for everything. We might leave here today and get into a car accident. The way I'm prepared is I have I have health care, right? So I have health insurance. Um, I have car insurance, right? And so what are the insurances that you need for you to have a peace of mind? And I have batteries in my house. I'm, I'm totally fine there. Maybe for you, it's already having the kerosene heater or having water or having a support system, a community of people who maybe collectively have the resources that you all need to share what do you what do you recommend rachel for preparing for emergencies other than the emergency fund fund. i know i can't speak to the minimalist living you guys are the experts (laughs) on that but i would say i mean you obviously know things are going to happen right like if you live on the ocean you know a hurricane is possible if you live up north you know a blizzard's probably going to happen like like you know these things Mm -hmm. and so i'd say it would be unwise not to prepare for those things like it's going to happen the inevitable is there and so prepare and thankfully you know and yeah like you said you don't want to over prepare and have all this stuff that you're never going to use but have enough stuff that you're like you know what if we're out of power for maybe it's two days for you maybe it's three days whatever that security foundation is find that have the stuff and you have to think about it again and what is appropriate for you right yeah we we often talk about um just in case versus just for when like sometimes we'll buy these just in case items like well it was on sale i'll get that just in case but there are other times where you say, okay, if you live in Minneapolis, you know there's going to be some heavy snow every winter. It's mm. it, And some years might be more uh, dramatic than others, but there's going to be, it's going to get pretty cold in the winter in Minneapolis. And so what are the just for when items, just for when it snows or just for when there's a power outage because you know it's going to happen. What are the just for when items you need? And then have those on hand. You don't have to have too much, but have the appropriate amount. Yeah. Preparing appropriately. Absolutely, man. (laughs) I think like living back in Montana, you know, driving around in my 2004 Toyota Corolla that's paid off and that I still have to this day because shopping for cars stress me stresses me out. Like anyway, <laughs> me too. it's like I've got we, we have a, a a car fund right now that we've been putting money towards and we start talking about, OK, like when we do have enough money to buy a new car, what are we going to get? And I start to Google stuff and I'm like, 
I'm going to approach that when we actually need to get a new car because there's just like so many options. Anyway, <laughs> but when I think about when we when I lived in Montana and I'm driving around in that 2004 Toyota Corolla, um, I had a set of chains on uh, in my trunk because sometimes you get blizzards out of out of nowhere and some of these passes on the highways you cannot pass without having legally you're not allowed to pass without having chains so i had chains i had an emergency blanket i had some water in there because there are these things that you can appropriately appropriately prepare for when you live in certain climates it's like think about a boat owner like it's totally appropriate to have life jackets on the boat hopefully you never have to use them mm -hmm. but to have a life jacket in my 2004 Toyota Corolla that's not very appropriate mm -hmm. so yes plan appropriately for uh, the climate that you live in and if you do that and especially set the boundaries up you know Rachel you talked about is it three days worth of things that you need is it a week whatever it is set those boundaries and if you are preparing appropriately you can still live a very simple minimalist life and, and not take up a ton of space and maybe ask yourself is this appropriate Are those chains if you're just driving around Los Angeles California they're not appropriate. It's just excess, right? right? It becomes junk. You've cluttered your trunk mm -hmm. with something you don't need. Uh, I, the one thing I think about, I think Seth Godin talked about this recently. He, um, uh, he, he was saying that I think if, you, so every airplane has life vests under every seat. Right. It's probably inappropriate. You have a one in an 11 million chance of ever having to use, uh, to ha ever have a water landing. Mm. And even if you have a water landing, are you going to end up needing the, the life jacket under every single seat? It, that is over-preparing. Mm. Now, there are you know, federal regulations and reasons why they have to do that. So if you're forced to do that, then, then you do it. But the good news is for Leanne is you get to choose what you're forcing yourself into. What is appropriate for your life considering where you live? And, and, and by the way, that will change. And if you move, that changes. Or as climates change, that will change. It's, it's really up, up to you to figure out what is appropriate for your life now and then continue to reconsider that as your life moves forward. Our next question is from Leah in Springfield, Missouri. About a year ago, I started paying back my $16,000 in student loans. I've been working to pay it off as having debt looming over my head is a huge stress in my life. Then, about a month ago, I found out that I have precancerous cells on my cervix, and I had to go in for various examinations and eventually surgery last week. I've been receiving the medical bills, and even with insurance, it's been outrageous. I'm now $1,000 in debt to the hospital and on a payment plan. However, I've learned that my condition will take consistent upkeep for at least 20 years and may involve a full hysterectomy in just a few years. I know you said no debt is good debt, but I also can't get cervical cancer. How do I manage necessary debt that may accumulate over the next two decades of my life without losing all of my financial freedom? All right, so I think this is, this is probably a good chance to get personal with, with this because um well here's the thing yes we do often say there's no such thing as good debt mm -hmm. that um however there are some debts that are worse than others right if you go get a, a payday loan at the corner liquor store that's a terrible <laughs> use of debt right um there are more appropriate uses of debt given your circumstances maybe a mortgage is is a good example of that especially if you're putting 50 percent down and you have a seven-year fixed mortgage that's a pretty good use of of debt relative to the the, the payday loan or the credit card loan because that's all it really is is uh you know if you put you know, uh, ten thousand dollars worth of widgets on a credit card. You're just loaning. You're you're borrowing the money at a really high interest rate. Now, Leah, you're in a, in a, a space where yes, uh, the debts that you still have is not good. And what I mean by that is you'd rather not have it, right? You'd prefer to be able to pay for these things with cash. Now, thankfully, um, uh, Ryan and I have have both had some recent emergencies or health problems. You know, Ryan broke five vertebrae, his five lumbar vertebrae while skiing. And um, I've had all kinds of stomach issues. Just last week, I had to get a colonoscopy, uh, top and bottom. And um, that's really expensive. And I, I have health insurance, but it's high deductible health insurance, which uh, means I have to self-insure the first $10,000 roughly. Yeah. And, and I, this and the way that I self-insured that is I had an emergency fund set aside with six months worth of exp uh, of expenses, right? And 
because of that, I was able to take the money out of my emergency fund and then pay for these medical procedures that, that I needed. Um, if I didn't have that money there, then I would be in the same position that Leah is in, where I would have had to be in debt with the hospital. And I've had that before. And Ryan, I think you were in a similar situation when, when you broke your back. You, had to, you actually yeah. had to go to the emergency room, which is even far more costly. Yeah. So it was, I mean, I've got a $6,000 deductible. So far, I've received like $8,000 worth of bills. So um, I, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to have to at least pay that deductible. Um, I did have an emergency fund. I've got uh, about four months of bills saved up and this is an emergency. So, you know, I feel totally appropriate to feel that it's totally appropriate to dip into that emergency fund. But I, because the bills are still kind of working themselves out, I haven't had to dip into that yet. My first approach though, is as soon as I get the the bills for the money I actually do owe, I'm going to call the hospitals and ask them a couple questions. I'm going to ask them, is there a discount if I pay upfront? Can I save any money if I go ahead and pay it all at once? And if the answer is no, then my next question is probably, well, how much can I send you each month uh, at a you know at zero percent interest or low interest rate um, to get these bills paid off? In fact, if it's if it's any percentage interest rate, I'll probably just dip into the emergency fund and, and pay it off because I am prepared for that. But I guess for Leah, the emergency fund it's too late. Like she's already got these medical problems, she cannot go back in time and come up with an emergency fund. She has debt that is that you know may be incurring even more with the surgery that she needs, so forth and so on. Um, that's what she can do. She can uh, ask about paying it off all in one chunk, um, or she can ask for uh, different payments. I know I had some medical expenses when I was 21 years old, and I forget what the total amount was, but I was sending in $50 a month. And it took me until I was like 28, 29 years old before I finally got everything paid off. But uh, they didn't charge me any interest. It didn't reflect negatively on my credit report or anything like that. So there are options uh, rather than just taking a you know a huge payday loan basically to pay for these emergencies. So yeah, I would say too, Leah, like that's it, that's terrifying, right? Like you hear cancerous cells, and anyone you're just you're you're probably in a in a little bit of a state of fear. And then as a woman, it's like you're gonna get a hysterectomy, and like you know, what I mean, it's just you have a lot. Like it's a really heavy situation and so the last thing i want you to do is to function in fear and make decisions based on fear mm. so, because that will also make everything worse that's right it, yes. you're, you're going to continue to feel worse and 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 the just having a little bit of debt or sometimes a lot of debt it, it is it's terrifying it is especially yes. when you don't you know that you don't want to get there that's right but i would also say take care of yourself like like i think about even like you know, parents that have sick children. And it's like, listen, what we do and what we teach is so important. But when it's your child on the line, you're going to do whatever it freaking takes yeah. for your child. And I would say the same for you, like your health. But you have to know some facts and know that the number one cause of bankruptcy is medical bills. Mm. And I would do some digging. I think, Ryan, that was perfect advice. Like, don't go into this blindly. Like, ask every single question look over every bill talk to the hospital administration understand exactly what's going on because that knowledge is going to give you power yeah. and you're going to be able to start to make a plan but i know you're in a state of i'm sure of shock and it's terrible and i'm so sorry that you're in this um but i would say gain as much knowledge of this and take care of yourself yeah. yes indeed and and also, find people who are willing to support you. I've, I've had over the last month, well, at last five months, I've had some pretty significant health problems, um, and uh, we're, we're starting to figure it out, and I feel better this week than I did last week. And so, um, as we figure it out, I've also had surrounded myself with a small group of supportive people who are understanding. Now, I don't want to beat them over the head with my burdens. That's not what I'm trying to do, but sometimes you need someone to talk to, and it helps with that fear to know that you are not alone. And so, yeah, um, as far as the student loan stuff goes, Rachel, she has $16,000 in student loans that she's paying back. Um, do, do you have a typical order that you, when she, so she's, she has those student loans, but she's also incurring some new debt because she doesn't have an emergency fund to, to pay for it. Um, what, what are the steps that she needs? I mean, within the, the sort of baby step parameters, what, what, what direction does she need to go at this point? Yeah. I mean, health issues put kind of a, th 
kind of explodes the whole thing a little bit, right? So like mm-hmm. for her and right now from even the way she was, you know, her questions were phrased, she doesn't have a lot of information right now with the health. She doesn't know if it's going to be 20 years, if she's going to have the surgery. So again, gather those facts. So for the moment, I would say keep current on your student loans and I would start piling up some cash. Mm-hmm. And then once you get to a point that you're like, okay, this is exactly what my what my plan is going to be, here's my path, and here's all my health circumstances, that's going to give you visibility and clarity. And I would say, honestly, I would be focusing on saving up money and dealing with your health. And then once you get a grasp on that, then go back to the student loans. Right. But, but pay the minimum required That's on the right. Oh, loans. totally. Stay yeah. current with them. Yes, uh-huh. the, the worst you could do is get behind. But those people that out there that are listening that don't have the, the, the health uh, issue there, you know, student loans in general, always attack those. Those are That's one type of debt that can stay along with people like forever. It's like mm-hmm. Sally Mae just moves in and you're like, hey, BFF, like you've been <laughs> around for 20 years, but pay those off. And if you have multiple student loans, list them out smallest to largest. You can consolidate those. That's the one type of debt I'm okay with you consolidating, making sure you get a reasonable interest rate, but paying those off smallest to largest and just keeping track. And you're getting ahead of it now. You're, you're not You're not making this phone call. Yes, you're $1,000 in debt. You're not making it when you're $100,000 yes, in debt. Yes. And hopefully you won't, you won't get there because you have some sort of high deductible health insurance um, and if you have that you know it's different in every state obviously but um, if, if you if you have health insurance there is going to be a cap so you setting aside that money if your deductible is ten thousand dollars then knowing that you're gonna have to spend as much as ten thousand dollars a year but everything after that is then covered and uh, by, by health insurance and and so keep that in mind that you're not going to have unlimited uh, expenses with respect to that. There is going to be a cap, but understanding what that cap is for you and, and then preparing accordingly. All right, let's move on to more about less. Uh, this is usually where Ryan and I argue about um, a current event. <laughs> I don't think we've had one argument during Shut this up. segment. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you always trying to fight me, bro? Uh, so uh, we've, we've got we've got Rachel here. Here's an article from the Washington Post, and it's called, I See No Way Out. Living paycheck to paycheck is disturbingly common. So what we, we're going to do is we're just going to read through this, and then we can pause and just talk about different things and different experiences here. Uh, all right, it starts off like this, inescapable. It's a constant stressor. I see no way out. Those are three separate quotes. What do professors, real estate agents, farmers, business executives, computer programmers, and store clerks have in common? They're not immune to the harsh reality of living paycheck to paycheck, according to dozens of people who responded to a Washington Post inquiry on Twitter. They're millennials, Gen Xers, and baby boomers. They work in big cities and rural towns. They've tried to save, but rent childcare, student loans, and medical bills get in the way. National data on the paycheck on the paycheck to paycheck experience is flimsy, but in a recent report from the Federal Reserve uh, spotlights the prevalence of extra tight budgets. Four in ten adults say they couldn't produce four hundred dollars in an emergency without sliding into debt or selling something, according to the twenty seventeen figures. Mm. Let's step back from that for a second. Forty percent. I used to make uh, at my peak in the corporate world a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, which in Dayton, Ohio, is like a billion dollars a year. <laughs> um, and uh, I was living paycheck to paycheck, and uh, had a thirty-year mortgage that was underwater, uh, my you know because of the crash, and uh, and so I owed more on the house than what it was worth. I owned more on my three cars than what they were worth. Mm. Um, uh, Three. Well, yeah. Ooh, well, I didn't know if I well, knew that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I had two Lexuses and and uh, a Land Rover, um, and um, didn't need any of them. But uh, well, I needed one car. But uh, well, my spouse needed a, a a car as well, but um, didn't need car payments. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And uh, and yeah. And by the way, the the Camry would have gotten me just as far, right? Yeah. Uh, and and so here's the thing. Um, what do real estate agents, farmers, executives, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, uh, we all live beyond our means is essentially what, what that's saying. Yeah. In most of the cases, now of course, uh, medical bills and other things, but even if you have student loans and childcare and rent and mortgage or whatever, it's about it's getting back to the budget stuff that we talked about. But what about that number, Rachel? The, the four in 10 can't, four in 10 adults can't, 
produce four hundred dollars if they have an emergency. So living beyond our means mm. as a culture, and we know this. Yeah. But you guys, like, I hear that, and I'm like, and and our says seventy eight percent of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. So eight out of ten. And to me, what that says is like that's normal. Mm. And normal sucks. Yeah. Like if that's normal, I'm like, put me on the weird end of the spectrum, and I will be confident and totally okay with that. I'm like, I don't want to live like that. And yeah. so we have a saying in our place: you have to live like no one else. So later you can live and give like no one else. Yeah. So you cannot keep doing normal stuff. If you keep doing normal stuff, you're going to keep producing normal stuff, yeah. which is paycheck to paycheck. So you have to get to a position where you say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of going to a job I hate, dealing with people and jerky bosses. I'm sitting in traffic and I'm living my life to pay my dang, I was about to cuss, but I won't cuss on here, <laughs> my dang credit card bill with all this crap I don't need in my life. Like it's unbelievable, you guys. It's unbelievable and I'm done with it. Like I am, I'm like, I'm nice a lot, I'm friendly, but I'm like, unless it's something, like we said, the earlier call it the medical thing, again, that's the asterisk, that's the heartbreaker. But as Americans, we have we owe $15,000 on our credit cards. The average car payment is close to $500 a month. Like we are living beyond our means and we have to stop or you're going to keep getting what you've been getting. But you have to decide. That's the thing. That's the beautiful thing is it's up to you. But that's the hard reality is it's up to you. And as we live that lifestyle of overextending ourselves, we realize it's not even the lifestyle we want. We get what we thought we wanted just to realize like, oh, this is a burden. This isn't a blessing. This doesn't feel good. This just produces so much anxiety. I, I feel so stressed out. I'm depressed because, man, this isn't the life that I wanted to live, even though I've been sold this meme. You know, you see the Super Bowl commercials, and if I just buy this car, mm -hmm. then I'll be happy. Then I can you know, go on that vacation and through the mountains or whatever, but... The truth is that like all of those things are just things and they can augment our experience of life, but they certainly can't make us happier. Yeah, absolutely not. You know, it's funny. There's always these talks about uh, millennials versus Gen Xers versus baby boomers. But, you know, as this article points out, no one is immune to money problems. But in the same in the same token, millennials, Gen Xers, baby boomers, they also have the opportunity to. Uh, to not have money problems. They have the opportunity to plan. It doesn't matter where you're at on this on the socioeconomic scale. It doesn't matter what generation you are from. If you use some of these tools, you can get a hold of your finances and eventually become uh, financially free. I mean, I love Chris Hogan's new book, The Everyday Millionaire. Yes. Because it has so many stories of from teachers to lawyers to uh, you know firefighters, just everyday people who uh, the a large chunk of them have never made six figures. A lot of them make under six figures, and they're still able to get a hold of their finances in a way to where they can eventually become millionaires. It doesn't take uh, it doesn't take a six figure job. It doesn't take uh, you know some crazy crazy planning, but it does take a plan. Simple well, it, plan. It doesn't take a six-figure <clears throat> job to be responsible with your money. In right. fact, what I learned is you can be even more irresponsible if you start making more money because then creditors start reaching out to you and saying, "Yeah, at one point I had 14 credit cards. Mm -hmm. um, and you know there were stupid ones too. It was like, well, here's one from Banana Republic. <laughs> <laughs> I got 15% off the shirt. It's all my purchase, yes. Right. <laughs> and it's, I'd be stupid not to sign up for that. Well, it's 100% off if you don't buy it. And don't buy it if you don't need it or if it's not going to enhance your life seriously. And by the way, if it's not the best use of your money, and that's really what we're talking about. When we're talking about budgeting, all we're saying is, what is the best use of this money? Because money for all of us is going to be finite. And especially if we're struggling with money, what's happening is we're treating money as though it's infinite. I'm going to make more eventually. Mm. I was always spending toward my next promotion. Mm. Yeah. It's like, well, or, or I'm going to get a pay raise. I'm starting to think, how am I going to spend that money? And really all I was thinking is, how am I going to go farther into debt? Right. How many more debt payments can I afford can I each that? month? Yeah. And that, that if you... If you're going into debt, you can't afford it <laughs> right. at all. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So uh, the article goes on, but I think you get the the, ju the gist of it here. Ryan, is there anything in this article that you wanted to, to really point out? Oh, man. Um, you know, just it, college always isn't the answer. I mean, this article goes in to talk about how um, just a certain case where someone has three college degrees and they're, and they're drowning. And I feel like a lot of 
our problems we feel like we can solve by going to school and getting a degree and then we get a degree for example this person that is in this article they're like oh that wasn't the right degree i gotta go get a different degree and they think schooling is the answer and i just would really want to stress to anyone listening to this like if you are looking at going to college or your kids going to college i mean get a really clear picture on why they're going to college i mean i think if you know if i go to a, a dentist and i got to get my wisdom teeth removed I want that dentist to have gone to college. I mean, there, there's some necessary schooling that has to go. I'm not going to go to a self-taught dentist. But you're also not looking at the diploma to know where the dentist went. That's absolutely true. You know, you yeah. just want to know, okay, you went and you know what you're doing, yes, right? So absolutely. that's another thing is like your school choice is huge. Yes, ab- yeah, absolutely. But, you know, when I think about like my business management degree, I, I couldn't tell you one, you know, the biggest thing I learned in my business management degree, it was... Uh, to hire an accountant. I suck at accounting. I mean, that's the biggest takeaway I got. But other than that, I cannot think of, you know, one thing that really helped me to become a better business manager. If anything, um, when I was managing a bunch of retail stores, the experience is what really gave me, uh, gave me the know-how on how to manage a business. But that degree, I look back on it. Yeah, I'm glad I got it. I'm glad I set an example for my brothers and sisters who uh, none of them have graduated college. In fact, I'm the only one in my family on both sides who has a um, four-year college degree. So it was nice in the sense that to set that example, um, but in the same token, I look back and I'll probably never actually use that degree. I wish I would have just given it a little bit more consideration before I jumped into it. Yeah, and that's that word is important, consideration. We're not considering where our money's going. We're not considering what our future self is going to say about how I'm spending this money. When you turn 18, it's it's this weird thing. You're not going to give an 18-year-old $100,000 to start a business, but you're going to you'll you'll give them $100,000 worth of debt and yeah. to go to a school and they're not and then they have to pick what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. And they sometimes get a degree in left-handed puppetry and you're like, "What? <laughs> like why did you get that degree? Right. It's not marketable." So yeah. There's a lot. I'm not against higher education. I am for college, but I'm not about being stupid when it comes to college. And yeah. there's a lot of stupid decisions that are made in yeah. this one area because it's like people die on the sense of like I have to go to college I have to go to college is it for everyone no it's not for everyone mm-hmm. and can you do it yeah but you know what you can go to a community college you can go to an in-state school and you're going to be okay yeah. yeah and and you can be successful without a degree and you can be wildly unsuccessful with one <laughs> That's a great right well, Rachel, I want to thank you for being here today on the Minimalist Podcast. We're really grateful. For those of you listening to this, uh, check out her book, Smart Money, Smart Kids, or uh, Love Your Life, Not Theirs. And then check out her new podcast, The Rachel Cruz Show, wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll put, also put a link to it in the show notes. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, guys. Really Thanks for having it. me. I really You're awesome. too. Thanks. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need every little thing that's just feeding your greed oh i bet that you'd be fine without it every little thing that you gotta have every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for you gotta grab, oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it. So take.